I was looking in the mirror and I was thinking about my work and then I thought to myself, you can make art that is reflective of our time. Welcome to Forever Young, the health and well-being podcast from Lanzerhof. My name is Mario Pedazzoli, and in every episode, join me in conversation with a variety of health experts and special guests as we explore what it means to live well. We may not find the secret to eternal youth, but join me on our quest as we explore just what it means to live a balanced, healthy and happy life. Hello again and welcome. Well, so far in Forever Young, we have been in conversation with a great number of health and medical experts in their field, with topics ranging from fasting to cryotherapy, vitamin infusions to mental health. And along the way, we also speak to those who are in the public domain for other reasons, but who have committed to making positive life choices in order to improve their quality of life, effectively taking control of their own well-being. So how do they feel as a result, and how has their body thanked them, and what have they learned about themselves? Well, one such person is my very special guest today, who I am thrilled to introduce. He is one of the UK's most exciting contemporary artists, best known for his mesmerizing and colorful collages, utilizing and transforming discarded objects into, quite simply, extraordinarily beautiful pieces of art. Welcome to the show, Robbie Walters. Thank you. And uh, well, first of all, I really appreciate you coming across from Soho to see us here in Mayfair today. Um, managed to stop raining at least. How are you today? I'm doing really well. It's, uh, it's, a, it's one of my favorite days. I love Mondays. Mm. I love Mondays. I love the week. I love every day. But there's something about a Monday. I love get, getting back into work. Actually, I know what you mean. I know a lot of people. I mean, it's a cliche, you know. Why you can't stand Mondays in the start of the week, but it's actually a wonderful day. It's a fantastic day. Mm. It's a really, really good day. Well, even better for having you here today. And let's start with your work, um, which is rapidly, well, it's, it has rapidly gained recognition and appreciation all around the world. And you also seem to have quite a celebrity fan club. Yeah. So let's embarrass you a bit. Uh, <laughs> Andy Newton, Sir Paul McCartney, Usain Bolt, Mary J. Blige, amongst others. You, you strike me as, as too modest, Robbie. Right. Um, but can you tell us what it is about your artwork that you think resonates with, with your clientele? I, um, I have a strong belief that when you love something and you're passionate about what you do, that transforms into whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's cooking food, making cars, creating art, playing sport. If you love it, that passion is... It's not only something that you can see but you want to be around it and I think that when someone's passionate about something people that um, they gravitate towards that and I think that um, the people that have been following my work are also passionate about things that they do and I uh, it's, I try to inspire with my work that's really what it is. Mm. That, that does come across and um, and actually over the past decade i guess your your art has built a reputation for being socially charged as well as beautiful Um, and there's clearly all your passion that's gone into that but but what type of artist how would you describe yourself as an artist so when i was very young i would often find myself in skips i'd be looking at things that people threw away and discarded and always, always looking for the story of 
what is this object and why has it been thrown away? Mm -hmm. And I thought that the life or the story had not been finished. It could be continued. So within the last possibly five, seven years, sustainability, words like that are being thrown around and it's for the right reasons and people are getting onto that subject. But when I would talk about things that were being discarded 10, 15 years ago, it really wasn't a hot subject. So I mm. can honestly say that it is something that I'm interested in and have been interested in for most of my life. Mm. So I would say that I'm, in, I'm an artist that's interested in things that are discarded and thrown away and making them beautiful again. And it wasn't until probably about six or so years ago, I was looking in the mirror and I was thinking about my work. And then I thought to myself, you can make art that is reflective of our time. Mm. So maybe putting Mickey Mouse onto something or something that is current in our culture today. Or you can do something that's shocking or you can do something that's personal. Now, my work is very personal. It's an inner journey. When you're doing something that's personal, it, the art really does have a mirror image, a reflection of the artist. Mm. And I was trying to work out what is the reflection of this work that I'm creating. And what I realized was when I was young, I was moved around, I was separated from my family. And all I wanted was to be loved and to be home. And then what I realized very recently is I'm taking objects that people discard and I'm trying to make them beautiful so that they're wanted again. And that was the reflection of my own life. Mm -hmm. And it was quite a profound one. And um, a lot of the thing I think quite deeply about things before I start them. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a, a there is a real reflection. There is a very direct line between who I am and what I create. And you, you say... Um You've always been interested in, in in looking at discarded objects and, and then using them. Did you make that connection as a child in what you were doing? Uh, was it a subconscious correlation or do you think you knew immediately? I think um, I didn't know what I was doing and probably still a lot of the things that I do now is quite intuitive. Um, and I think it's important for me, it, there's a, there's a paradox the conflict, if you like, is I think about something a lot before doing it, mm. but once I'm doing it, I don't like to think about it at all. So one project I did was I did a painting every day on a discarded object. Um, an artist named Chris Ophelia, he won the Mercury Prize, very successful artist, one of the white BAs, he advised me to draw every day, and I didn't want to draw every day, I wanted to make art. But then I was thinking about the art every... I did my drawings every day and I got very far with it but then I was thinking how can I take it further so I thought about it for I think I started thinking about it in September and I committed in January so on the 1st of January 2011 I committed to making a, a painting on a discarded object every day but when I do the painting even though it took me months to think about it but as soon as I'm starting to do the painting I can't think about it because it's contrived mm. and then I lose it and it doesn't feel right. Mm. So I overanalyze a structure, but when it comes to the practice, I have to let go. And is um, just listening to that, I mean, that, that's so um, profound in so many ways, but at the same time, is there a challenge and a, a tension, a creative tension between being commissioned for a piece of work and letting the, the art happen? 
there's um so yes there is so when someone commissions me to make a piece of art mm. the most important thing for me is to create something that is irreplaceably beautiful for their home mm. why because they're going to look at it every single day there aren't that many things that we have that experience with we don't eat the same food every single day we don't listen to the same piece of music every single day. We don't watch the same film every single day. Mm-hmm. It's one of those rare things that we have in our life that for me to create something never becomes boring. It's quite a challenge. Mm-hmm. Then when I'm creating something for myself and I don't have the parameter of someone else wanting something in a certain shape, size, color, um, then I really dig deep. Like there's something, there's something that I know that I have to do, but it's really, really. It'll, it, I can even say it, but it'll be difficult for me to even say it. Mm. And I know, and I've only shared this with one person, and it's a piece of art that I know that I have to make. Mm. And um, it's almost to the point of uncomfortableness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. I. I. I follow. I. I, I get it. Um. You. Um. We often hear that we're all a product of our, our environment, and, and you've, you've, thank you for sharing you know, with your upbringing and, and so on. Um, and if we are a product of our environment, or at least it's a factor in the nature versus nurture debate, um, is your art similarly, therefore, well, it is a product of your influences and upbringing, but, but is that what's truly inspired you? Um, are you constantly taking other um, sources of inspiration? I'm, <clears throat> I'm a ferocious learner. Um, when I was at school, I have, um, so I, the language wasn't around for me to understand what I'd experienced, but now as an adult, post-traumatic stress is something that I now understand, and I understand that I have it. And for those that are suffering with that kind of thing, please seek help, because mm-hmm. there is help, and there, is, there are ways of working with it. But I wouldn't take that experience out of my life because it is, as you say, helped create who I am. Mm -hmm. And with that depth of emotional range that I can explore, which most people won't go anywhere near, Mm -hmm. it gives me insight into things that I'm able to explore in an artistic way. And um, so my mental well-being, my physical well-being is absolutely fundamental to my inspiration and my creativity mm. some of the things that I learn now so um, I'm I don't watch very much television and I don't listen to that much music I used to mm. but now it's funny that we're we're sitting here talking and this is a podcast the thing that I do now is I listen to one or more people talking that's where I learn and I choose a subject and I go quite deep into that subject, whether it be hypnosis, quantum physics, elite soldiers, like I just I just pick something and then I learn so much from it. And that's infused into my work, just that inspiration of never being stuck, never thinking you know everything, mm-hmm. never think that you there isn't something exciting to be discovered. Um, that openness and that inquisitiveness is really, really important to me. Mm. And you, uh, you mentioned there uh, 
you, you talked a little bit about your, your childhood. Maybe for, for those that are listening to you for the first time and learning about you for the first time, I know you have previously shared this um, in, in previous interviews. Um, could you give us that context about being separated from your mother, I believe, and your childhood generally? And, and how does it feel to speak about it? Because I think that's ultimately the point we'll come to, which is there are those of us, all of us, um, that benefit from speaking openly and others that are just so um, closed and maybe they are suffering as a result. But tell us a bit about your experiences, Robbie. Um, thank you. There's, um, I had um, a range of very unique experiences when I was young, not knowing they were unique when I was young mm-hmm. because that's what I was experiencing. And before I say what it is, it has become a lot easier to talk about because I've gone through... I, I w- I, I, I was about to say I wish, but I'm trying to get into a place where I'm, actually, I'm able to self-analyze myself in real time so that I can correct myself in real time. I don't wish at all. What happened, happened, and it's who I am. I'm able to um, find access to um, unlocking the doors that are closed to me from fear of experiencing past experiences Mm -hmm. so um, some of the experiences that I had when I was young was my mum was um, underage she was at school and she had me my dad was her teacher um, and we lived together I had a brother um, and I didn't know it at the time, but I was probably the carer from very young. And I remember listening to a show on Radio 4 about children, like four, five years old, that were the carer and the adult. And when I was listening to it, I was like, oh, no, no, but that's normal. But then after a while, you realize that isn't normal for the child to be looking after the parent or to be somewhat control of their own life which they shouldn't have been. And um, my mum had a very difficult childhood, and there is no blame there. Like, she had it harder than I did and wasn't able to look after me to the point of which a young child would need. So I had a social worker, and I was in and out of children's homes, and I felt very responsible for my brother and um, can I ask at what age you were then in children's yeah homes? so between three and five okay and um, then something happened in the home where we were living and as a result of that my um, my brother died and I thought I was responsible for that and I was five years old and um, from There was a couple of things that happened before that, but that was the big one. And from that moment, I mean, I spiraled into um, um, self-punishing, like not worthy. um, Thought I'd done some. I thought I'd killed someone, and the person I was looking after. And that was a very difficult thing to process at five years old. And then I lived with my grandparents, um, and then I attached myself to my uncle, and then I only lived with them for about nine months, um, and then they couldn't look after me. My grandparents came from Jamaica. My granddad was a train driver. My grandma was the ticket collector. 
Uh, my brother was still at uh, uncle was still at school. My mother's my mum's brother, and then they couldn't look after me. And then they put me into foster care, and then in the foster care I stayed. So I was meant to be there for eleven months, short term, mm-hmm. and then I ended up staying with them for the rest of my time. But I didn't want to change my name, so I wasn't adopted. And I asked, why did you take me? You just had a baby. Like, why would someone with a baby take on another child? And they said, we weren't looking for another child, but your name, Robert, is the same as Rob, the the dad, Mm -hmm. and your date of birth is the same as the mum. And they were like, when they just got the call, we've got this young boy named Robert born on this Mm -hmm. date. And they were like, what? This is too much of a coincidence. And then they said, the moment they saw me, I was standing in the doorway with my head down, couldn't make eye contact. And they just said, we want to look after him. And for those that are suffering and have difficult times, like when I was young, I almost couldn't talk. I wasn't mute, but I was absolutely not able to express an emotion for sure. And I was uh, talking in general was very difficult. I lived in my head and communication just was not my strong suit at all and the work that i'm even able to sit in front of you now and just talk about this without falling apart or um making something or someone wrong um Mm. um, uh, applying blame to something Mm. um i'm able to see it as this happened and it's made me who i am uh, well, first of all, that's, that's incredibly moving and powerful, and, and thank you for, for sharing that. This sense of, I, I don't know if there was ever a sense of abandonment, or uh, and, and clearly your art today, is this um, a coping mechanism as well as your profession? Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, I, I, I don't like labels, so mm. I wouldn't like to say that I'm, autistic or on a spectrum or anything like that but I'm one that likes um, repetition I like patterns I like structure but also freedom expression Um, so the work that I do is very structured Mm. but I do paint and I paint abstract and I do things that no one sees as well and um, they're much more fluid and um, I don't like showing those really mm. strangely and um, I think that um, I don't think I use it as a crutch as in if I don't do it my world will fall apart but I think that I enjoy it so much um, that I work so hard and so long hours etc I'm so dedicated because I do not want to do something else. I don't want to write a CV or go for a job interview or apply for a job. So that's what's driving you on as much as anything else? Absolutely. Mm. Because if you don't do this, what else would you do? Yeah. I don't, I'm, I work well in teams and I love leading teams, but I don't want to work for someone where I'm not sure that their version of their future is even what they want to do. If I worked with someone, I'd have to find someone very passionate. Mm. You you mentioned that how meticulous you are and, and obsessive with detail, and and I have seen uh, 
the way you work in some of the video clips that are out there. And um, well, tell us about that. And actually, the term sacred geometry, we, we talked about it off air earlier, but I'd love to know, I'd love you to share w- with our listeners a little bit more about that and, and how that weaves into your work. Sacred, so I've been practicing something called Kriya Yoga for 22, I think, years now, every day. I've probably missed about a month in those 22 years. So I practice um, meditation. It's a Hindu, it's an Indian technique, it's a very ancient technique of meditation. And it's an absolute foundation of my day. I do it every single day. My routine is... um, get up in the morning, shower, cold shower, meditate, go about my business. I, even if I'm hungover, if I'm in whatever, the, I, there's no excuse. That's mm. what I do. And um, How long does that take, the meditation? The meditation, so I meditate. As soon as I wake up, I put my hands on my tummy and reset my tummy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably like a Reiki kind of thing, but I've not been trained in that. I think anyone can do that. Just a few, you know, gentle breaths, focus, you know, pay attention. And then um, my shower is not that long. Um, I've now, I used to just have cold, but now I have hot and then cold. So just like three minutes of both kind of thing. Then my meditation, I sit for at least 15, 15, 20 minutes every day. And then within my uh, routine of my meditation, I do some exercise as well. So I do some, I do not sit-ups, but I lift my legs. I do 20 of those Mm -hmm. just to keep my core strong. And then I do um, 10 to 16 press-ups every day. I'm like my, I'm a kind of micro-doser. So what I mean by that is I like to do something all the time, but a little bit. Mm -hmm. I don't need to like go to the gym gym and like really go for it and then take two weeks off and I, I'm like I, I like con- consistent yes and um, that really makes a difference to me that's my way mm. and um, so the meditation um, so in the body we have these spinning vortexes of energy fields called chakras mm-hmm. And there are seven. There's probably a lot more, but the seven main ones. I'm interested in the top one. And that's also known as the Thousand Petal Lotus. And the Thousand Petal Lotus led me to the sacred geometry. Mm -hmm. And this is the meeting point. So you are sitting in your chair over there. I'm sitting here. But there is something. You are you. I am me. But there is something. We are one. Mm -hmm. So there is is a field that... um, is communicating um, for example if I was looking another way and I really want you said that you have a psychic coming in mm. um, a really quick way of doing that is when someone walks in the room and they're really happy or they're really angry you sense it mm. you feel it you haven't looked you haven't heard anything they've said but you can feel it well guess what that's a that's a very small door opening up to your psychicness. And we all have it. And also, I think you mentioned coming back to the gut and mm. instinct and trust. Mm. Fundamental. We all have it. That's what I learned from the SAS is like the thing that they have almost more than anyone else is that absolute connection to the gut 
and the feeling. If they're going to come through the door and all hell breaks loose through that door, mm. they have to have that feeling that they're going to come out with the result that they want. Mm. Whereas most of us, we go into a room and we're not even sure, not alone. Why well, we've gone in there in the exactly. first place. Exactly. <laughs> so that instinct and that gut, that's really, really important. Mm. So coming back to the top chakra, relaying the the relationship between this field between the physical and the infinite that really it's really fascinating to me and that's the moment of transformation so I, I heard this saying once if you change the way you look at something the thing that you look at changes so people are seeing waste I'm seeing beautiful mm. art mm. that hasn't been constructed or reconstructed mm. and in the transformation of the reconstruction I'm using the patterns of sacred geometry which are the two overlapping circles creating the petal that's the part and extending and renewing life absolutely so if you're able to transform something so I was explaining earlier about how um, my art recalibrates electromagnetic fields in in the room mm. well if you if you're able to take something and make someone see it in a new way, are you able to take someone and make them see themselves in a new way? That's powerful. I think the answer is yes. Mm. I should say as well that um, Robbie was referring to Martin Zoller, who's a previous guest on this podcast uh, and is here this week um, and is delivering seminars on trusting intuition as well. In fact, if you're around this evening, I'll introduce you. I think you've got lots in common. Oh, amazing. Um, and so, well, coping mechanisms for, for mental health, I think that's, that's also been a previous podcast topic here. Um, what is your advice to those? I mean, we're all different and it's very subjective. But um, what advice would you give in terms of your story and how you've come out of the other side and clearly thrived um, and speak very passionately and eloquently about your journey? What advice would you give? So there's different levels of advice for um, mental well-being. So there could be the moment of a crisis. So if you're in a moment where you've got anxiety and you don't know how to respond to a situation, my first port of call would be the breath, which is one of the most important things that we have. Um, we don't give it credit. We don't pay a lot of attention to it. And yet... In my meditation, my meditation master says, your breath is the first thing that changes before your emotion. So you, you're, so you, if you're walking into a happy or sad or whatever situation that you're in, your breath is the thing that changes. And then the mind and body follows. So you can also reverse that. So mm. if you take control of your breath, then you can take control of your the way that you see something or the mm. outcome or the... The, what's happening in your body. So if I give a, a couple of different techniques of breathing, which would help people straight away, mm -hmm. which would be if you sit up straight and keep your spine nice and straight, imagine a piece of string on the top of your head, mm -hmm. uh, pulling your head up and relaxing your shoulders. Straight away, that brings you present into the space that you're in. And then at the base of your spine, at the back of your spine, Take a slow, long, deep breath up to the top of your head. So you just breathe in. To the top, hold, and then release. 
down the front of the spine. Do that three times, seriously, and just see how you feel. It will change you straight away. If you want to get into a little bit more complicated breathing, mm -hmm. you can hold one nostril and breathe on one side, like one breath in, three seconds, hold for three, move your thumb over to the, the other nostril and breathe out three. And then just keep that, just keep doing that. Now you're, mag now you're clearing the different channels of the different cortexes or the different sides of your brain. The first one is just really to center you very quickly. Mm -hmm. This one is just a recalibration mm -hmm. of, the, of the mind and the body. The, these are quick fixes, if you like, if yes. you are in a situation and you need help straight away, mm -hmm. including the SAS. If they've got a situation, they've got like 10 seconds, that's what they'll do. Focus on the breath. That's what brings them back. And you've got full control of your body and your mind again, or at least heading in that direction. Mm -hmm. If you have uh, a, um, more time and you and you really want to get deeper into something, the things that I would say to look at, food, fundamental. What are you eating? When are you eating it? Mm -hmm. How much are you eating? Mm -hmm. Really look into that. Exercise. What are you doing for your exercise? And I'm not talking about walking around your home that's been reduced you're not going to work anymore and you're stuck in an office at home and you're not moving around very much mm -hmm. i mean get outside and go for a walk a ride whatever that is go to the gym do your exercises find a way to move your body mm -hmm. it releases so many endorphins it's so important <clears throat> so then so that's your food your exercise so your mind we live in this artificial simulation called the internet we think that social media is social it's not social it's an interaction with a screen yes that's what it is even though there might be a picture of someone you might be talking to them but still it's an interaction with a screen so this podcast has only happened we only found out about this today mm -hmm. but when Stuart asked me would I like to do it he said would you be able to do it on a zoom and I said could we do it face to face mm -hmm. the 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 level of communication of us sitting in front of each other is exponential to us doing this through a piece of technology. Agreed, 100%. So what is the quality of your communication with another person? Mm. We're becoming less and less seeing people and we're becoming more and more in these artificial environments and living in these artificial environments. Seriously, this has an effect on your mental well-being. Yes. Please spend time with people, your mum, your family, your children, your friends. Be in their presence. It makes a difference, a huge, huge difference. Now, if you have, if you are able to take it there, cold therapy is something that is, uh, as we both discussed, that really excites me. It's instant. Like, if you have a coffee, you can feel it. You feel an instant thing. But there is a cost. Mm. There is another side to that. Yes. Cold therapy, there is no downside. Like you may, that the high may disappear, but there isn't a down after that. Mm. When, as soon as I'm getting ill, straight away cold therapy. As soon as I'm feeling a little bit down, and what I mean by cold therapy for anyone that can do it is simply run a cold bath and force yourself to take it. It 
I do not like getting in the bath to the point where I say to my seven-year-old, I'm getting in the bath. He knows I don't take hot baths. I'm getting in the bath. Wait, wait, wait. He comes running in the door and he stands there and all and all he was waiting for me to dunk myself going, ah, ah, this is freezing. <laughs> and he just loves that moment and then he runs off again. I don't like getting into a cold bath. But you know how you will feel when you get out of it. So that is mm. the point. I will take that short pain for ex- extended well-being, not even pleasure, like well-being. Like you can literally, it's one of the few things that I can literally lie in the bath and I can feel the endorphins starting to come. I can feel it. Yes. I, I can yeah. feel myself getting happy. Mm-hmm. I can feel my body correcting itself. Mm-hmm. I can feel all of the junk just like coming out and the cold showers, that's something that we can all do. And if you can't take a cold shower, have a warm shower, and just as you're going to get out, turn off the hot. Stay for a 10 seconds and get mm. out. Seriously, just a little, little, little bit. It makes a difference. And if you are able to, find this apps now for things like Headspace. I know I've just said, try not to spend so much time on the technology. Mm. But there are apps there that can teach you how to meditate, mm. and they can teach you how to come back to oneself that is so important mm-hmm. i i almost guarantee almost guarantee the amount of time you spend in meditation will be a quantum leap of how productive you are in whatever it is that you do after that so let me let me say that so that it's not metaphorical when i have um, children coming in and i do a workshop with them and they're all excited they're seven to eleven years old you can see they all interacting with each other the volume's quite high the energy's quite high i sit them in a circle and i do a meditation very similar to what i was talking about sitting straight breathing up and down the spine and then i do like just um put your attention on your feet and just work all the way through your body when we finished it's silent and they're almost one and then when i say something they're all super focused and engaged on it but now if i hadn't done that meditation and i Mm. and i asked them to do portraits of each other it'd be screaming and shouting and i can and i can't but when i do it then they're super focused on it there are teachers and parents listening. <laughs> are they? They're writing all this down. <laughs> it, it's like, it's magic. Mm. It's magic. It brings people together. Mm. It drops the barriers. Mm. And it really focuses the body and the mind. So we will be arranging a cryotherapy session oh, for you, uh, Robbie. I'm very excited uh, about uh, that. Uh, and, and compare that to your cold showers and yes. sort of thing. But Ooh. the principles, many of the principles, are, of course, the same. Yeah. Um, COVID mm-hmm. uh, and lockdown mm-hmm. parts one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you cope and, uh, and and how did you stay positive and did you use the time? Do you feel productively? Mm-hmm. I'm speaking as if it's the past tense. I yeah. appreciate we're still working our way through all of this and it's new for all of us and some coped better than others, of course. Um, when you look back to March 2020 and, and the time in between, uh, how would you summarize your so um, COVID is a curve, a global curveball that hit us, caught us, most of us by surprise, mm. and was an unknown unknown. So we were entering into territory where we didn't know what was going to happen, how bad it was going to get, and how long for. 
that's catastrophic for people that have anxiety. I'm not really suffering so much now, but um, I really want to acknowledge those that really have suffered through this time. And one of the things that I heard from an ex-SAS, he was asked this question and he said, a coping mechanism, this isn't for me, this is for people to help people, a coping mechanism um, to get yourself through a situation like this is to know what you are doing tomorrow and to know mm. what you are doing this week. Find a purpose. Mm. As soon as you lose that routine or that purpose, it's a cliff edge. It's the best advice, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, mm. really. Like, plan your day. Mm -hmm. Seriously. Mm. Like, you know, places like this wellness center, like, you know, get involved in things like this. This is really fundamental for people's well-being. Um, for me, um, how I got myself through it was, um, I'm gonna, I don't like the, the phrase, to be honest, mm. but I think it highlights that you're saying something important. Mm. So having said that, me being honest, I drank alcohol um, probably more than I did before. Mm. And that turned into my routine and then I discovered that that's not what I wanted to do and everything got taken away and I'm I'm a real strong believer that we project and create our lives and futures and we live into that um, but this one I mean we really were flying in the business and a lot of those opportunities came to a grinding halt mm -hmm. I made some small pieces of art that kept me going. I was with my family. I was with my ex-partner and partner and my two children with my ex and my child with my... We went to Wales, we camped out, and we had the best family time, and that was extremely holistic. Mm -hmm. And I'm so happy that I had that time with my family. Mm -hmm. We were there for over three months, and we had lunch and dinner together every day, and that was so wholesome. I loved it. Um, the part that really swung me out of it and got myself back together was I spent three months thinking about creating the largest piece of work I've ever made and went through all the internal dialogues of can you, can't you, why, what are people going to think, all of that internalness that we all suffer with and have to acknowledge and put to one side and say I acknowledge you but I'm going to do it. And when I came back I got the team together and we worked on it as a team and it was the largest piece that I've ever made. I've got it up in my gallery now and it's 12 foot wide and 8 foot tall. So you're quite stubborn then, Robbie, when you when you set your mind on something? Um, I don't know what the next one after stubborn is, but <laughs> absolutely yes is the answer to that one, yeah. Yeah. But I think that um, I'll, take, I'll take determination over talent. Mm. I think I might have some talent, but I, I, I would say that I'm committed. Mm. I'm a committed, but like if I do something, I'm doing it 100%. Sounds like it. And um, and listening to all of this, it's just been fabulous, uh, this, this, this chat. And uh, um, But looking back on your younger self now, what advice would you give to your younger self? Um, I'm in conflict with that. So um, I would love to be able to do that and I also wouldn't want to change anything mm. acknowledging that what would I say to myself I think it's the it's 
almost cliche of what I would expect most people to say to their younger selves, which is to believe in yourself, mm. not to allow others determine what you can and can't achieve. Once you have something in your mind that you want to do, find someone else that can help you. Mm. Mentors are underestimated. Um, mm. I think that if I, you know, coming here, I wouldn't want to just go into uh, a room and discovering how it worked by myself. I would want to get the advice of someone that knew the machinery, knew what I should be doing before using the machine. Like, mm. there are, there are, like, when I was young, um, I was told at school the careers was like being a, a bricklayer or being something to do with building. And it just went straight over my head. And that was the advice that I was given. And mm. I didn't connect with it. But I wasn't being understood like I was into art and that just wasn't really something that people could make a career out of and and I'm I'm a strong believer um, if someone's got something inside I think we all have something inside us that's special we're all different we're all unique um, and to find that and explore it express it and it, you can have a full-time job you, you can be something that you don't show anyone it could be something on the side but let that thing come out we all have it mm -hmm. I don't know what it is in other people I know what it is in me mm -hmm. um, never give up ever like keep going What, whatever the odds are stacked against you um, like make make it happen mm. great advice Robbie and um, and back to your work today um, what exciting plans do you have anything upcoming you'd like to share yeah I'm working on some really fabulous things right now. I'm just doing, I'm just finishing um, pieces with my team, Pavan, Leanne, someone's just left, Alex. Um, we working on some pieces for a restaurant very close to here, Koya. Yes. Um, working on some pieces for them. Um, I've just got to add the TM on, um, I've got a, I'm, I got permission from Eon, who own the, the Bond franchise, which is good timing this week. They released the, I think the pre, the preview or the screening is on Wednesday. That's right. And then I think well, I'm going to see it on Thursday. So it, the Bond, No Time to Die, is coming out this week. Mm -hmm. And I was given permission um, to replicate the logo. Um, and I've used Aston Martin. I was the artist in residence at Aston Martin, mm -hmm. and I've used some of the petals that I had left over from the Aston Martin leather, and I've made the 007 logo out of Aston Martin. Oh, where will that be exhibited? So when we first originally spoke, it was going to be something maybe for the red carpet because mm -hmm. it got set back, set back, and COVID, the whole thing's changed. So now... I've made it so that some signatures can go along the bottom and um, then they're going to, they have an auction at Sotheby's, but I can't go in the next one. But the, the, the idea is that it goes in the one after that. So it's auctioned and then that money will be going to a foundation. Amazing. So yeah, it'll be a, it's a giving back piece, but with such a 
incredible brand. <laughs> yeah. There's an understatement. Yeah. Well, Robbie, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Me too. Uh, we uh, will continue to watch your star rise. And uh, thank you for sharing all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing seemed to have been, no stone unturned. Yeah. And, and I think for anyone that like more information about Robbie and his work, um, or indeed if any of the themes that we've discussed today um, have been of interest or you would like more advice, uh, please email lanzerhoff at theartsclub.co.uk. Robbie, absolute pleasure. Thank you again. And, uh, well, we'll arrange your cryotherapy session. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. All the best. Yeah. Thank you.